Amen. Happy Transfiguration Sunday, everyone. It's like a minor holiday in the church calendar today. I know the Transfiguration doesn't get as much attention as Easter or Christmas, but it's still an important story in the way that it is meant to help us to see Jesus differently. We've been reflecting for the last couple months on how God opens our eyes, heals our blindness, and this is meant to be kind of the culmination of that trend. Now we can see Jesus for who he really is. Only even in this story, I'm not sure that we always see it, since unfortunately we have a natural tendency to see only what we want to see, or at least what we're expecting to see. For instance, there's a famous experiment that you may have heard about. It's repeated all the time with similar results. Like me, maybe you've experienced it yourself in a class or a training of some kind. The way it goes is that a presenter shows a short video of a a basketball game or something similar. And those who are watching the video are then asked to count the number of times the ball goes in the basket or maybe the number of times the ball hits the ground or something. Afterwards, the viewers report back 11, 13, 15 times. Most get the correct answer, which is revealed. 15. So they pat themselves on the back. Good job. But then the presenter asks the group, now how many of you saw the gorilla that walked across the court? And those same people are surprised. Gorilla? They say, I didn't see any gorilla. They can't believe there was a gorilla on the screen until they replay the video, and sure enough, there it is. And it's not a brief appearance. The grill is there for quite a while, walking back and forth. But most people never even notice because they're so focused on following the ball. Everything else just fades into the background. The point is that we don't actually see things the way that they really are. Our minds are wired in such a way that we can easily miss really important details just because we're not expecting to see them or we're focused on something else. Our brains can't process every single item in our field of vision at all times, so it picks and chooses what it assumes is most relevant. In the basketball video scenario, the ball is usually determined to be important while the gorilla is not. And it's not a conscious choice. It happens without us even thinking about it. Sometimes, unfortunately, this trend can become even more pronounced over time. Our field of vision actually narrows. Not just physically, but mentally. Because we start to believe that we've seen it all. And there can't possibly be anything more to the picture. For instance, in this gorilla scenario, the more familiar we become with the sport of basketball, the more confident we may be that we can keep track of that ball, And that makes us less likely to see the gorilla that walks across the court because we know full well that that just doesn't happen. This tendency is sometimes called the end of history illusion. Each of us assumes that we've we've already arrived. We're at the end of our journey and are unlikely to discover anything new or take on any new perspective And this is part of what's going on in today's story. 
the story of Jesus' transfiguration. The way it's framed in the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus has been talking to the disciples about how he's going to have to suffer and die and then rise from the dead. That's what he came to do. And his followers will have to do likewise. But these disciples, they don't really get it. The pattern Jesus describes to them doesn't fit their frame of reference. They aren't expecting anything like that, which means that they can't really hear it. They can't really see it. So Jesus then takes a few of them away on a retreat to give them a better view. They go up on a mountain, which is obviously what you do when you want to go meet God. After all, the prophet Moses met with God on a mountain. The prophet Elijah met with God on a mountain. So the disciples have an expectation about what's going to happen on the mountain. And guess what? They find what they're looking for. These disciples already have a sense that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised Savior, who is to come at the end of history to restore the nation of Israel. So here on this mountaintop, they then see Jesus being confirmed as their knight in shining armor. His face is lit up just like Moses' face was lit up on that mountain so long ago. There was also an expectation that these things, the end of times, would come during Sukkot, the festival of booths. So that's what Peter sees going on here. He even offers to set up traditional booths for these great prophets. Surely this, this is the end of history, and Peter, James, and John are about to be seated on Jesus' right and on his left as he enters his glory. It is awe-inspiring and terrifying, as the end of times usually is. And then God speaks out of a cloud, which again, in itself isn't surprising. That's how God speaks in the book of Exodus. And yet this message on this particular day is not what they expect. The voice from heaven declares that Jesus is even more important than they had previously thought. He's not just a prophet like Moses or Elijah. And he's not just, not just a great teacher or healer or sage. God says instead... This is my son, my beloved. Listen to him. And at that point, suddenly we, the observers, are meant to notice that maybe these disciples haven't really been listening. Could also be that we haven't been listening either since we were so focused on those visions of splendor. After all, what was Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah about up on that mountain? What was the topic of their conversation? Anyone? Peter? James? John? It appears that maybe they missed the content portion of this mountaintop adventure. One of the other gospel writers later explains that the discussion that day 
was exactly what Jesus had been talking to the disciples about the week before. How the Son of Man would have to suffer and die and then be raised from the dead. So this is then what Jesus continues to tell them on the way down the mountain too. He says, don't tell anyone about all of this until after I rise from the dead. But the disciples remain confused. Even after this peak experience, they still don't completely see it. They say to themselves, what is this thing about rising from the dead? It just doesn't fit their expectations for what is supposed to happen. So they fail to understand once again. They still don't get it. And as you can imagine, this happens to us too. The truth is that no matter how many times we've visited the mountain in this story, we often still don't get it either. How Jesus is always talking to us about death and resurrection. This is the path he lays out for us. This is the way to life. Even though we still have trouble seeing it alongside all the shining lights and inspiring prophets. Like those first disciples, we come to church sometimes expecting God to shower us with words of comfort and joy. To promise us that we will go from strength to strength and triumph over our enemies that all will be smiles and roses as we continue to follow Jesus. And then we will be taken up into heaven in chariots of fire, like the great prophets and saints of old. But instead, it turns out that the conversation with Jesus is really most of the time about facing pain and death, which is rarely pretty or comfortable or smooth. Yes, there is resurrection. Praise God for that. We thank God for the promise of new life each and every day. And yet at the same time, Jesus says that death has to come first. Even though we don't want to look at it. Even though we'd rather skip over it. Even though we'd rather focus on something else. Our new beginnings process is, is an example of this. During our Advent small groups in 2020, we discussed how most churches think that, that church growth is a, a positive linear process. If we, improve on, if we work on improving our ministry, then our expectation is that more people will come and programs will grow and the trajectory will be up, 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 bigger and better into a victorious future that looks a lot like today, only better. But that New Beginnings curriculum explained that what's really required and modeled in, in Scripture is actually a downward process. The discipleship journey looks more like a U, where you, you start up, but then first you go down, down in order to rise again in a different form. It is possible to grow, but decline and death comes first. 
before there is a new beginning, first there's a period of letting go, of self-emptying. The past must be allowed to die in, in order for a new life to begin. There's just no getting around it. And we know this is true on a personal level too. There really is no progress in life without facing some kind of death. Like hitting bottom in a process of recovery. Or breaking down in tears as part of a process of grief. If we want to move forward, then we have to clean out the closets, shake up existing routines. We have to accept that there's there's no going back to the way things were. Jesus said that it's those who lay down their lives, who find them, who take them up again. It is only in dying that we are born again to eternal life. And again, one one would think that we would understand this better over time. After all, most folks go through enough downturns in life to understand that adversity can be a catalyst for growth. For instance, can you personally think of a time in your own life when you resisted a loss of some kind? Maybe the end of a job, or the end of a relationship, or the end of a dream. You didn't want to let it go, but you had no choice. And then you later realized that what happened was probably for the best. Wasn't it? Eventually you were better off. That loss, painful as it was, was necessary. Can you think of an experience like that? Of course you can. This pattern is already in our field of vision. It's been there all along. And yet every time it happens, we think to ourselves, surely this was an aberration. Now I have it all figured out. Now I have arrived. From now on, life will be smooth sailing. Up, up, up. We all struggle with this tendency to think that the story is close to an end. But hear the good, the difficult good news that God isn't finished with us yet. There are still more mountains to climb and more valleys to walk through. And our process of growth as followers of Jesus, it never ends. Even when we think that we're on the final leg of our journey, God still calls us down the mountain once again to walk with Jesus toward the cross. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. This is the way we are transformed into the likeness of Christ who willingly suffered and died and rose again into glory. This downward path is the way to life. And God never gives up trying to help us to find it, to see it in all its glory.
That's why Jesus keeps bringing us back to the mountaintop year after year to look again, to try to take in more light, to gain a deeper understanding, to see things differently. And then Jesus leads us back down the mountain to face the cross one more time until we can finally do so with confidence, perhaps even with joy, rejoicing in our sufferings, assured that death is not the end, but yet another new beginning. For truly, this is the way to life and life to its full. Amen.